So good evening, everybody. Sunday evening, 10th of May. Hola to all who understand Spanish. Kuzizangpo <laughs> to those who are in Bhutan. Jaimasi to all who speak Nepali. Yesu Sahai to all who speak Hindi. Devatinastuti for all who speak Malayalam. Yesu Sahai for those from Assam. So we can praise God in so many languages. Isn't it awesome? Because one day scripture says in all nations, all tribes, all languages. And it won't be cacophony, it will be symphony. Because the Holy Spirit will be the conductor. So this evening as we come to the third service of the day, Q&A, we have questions and you can keep sending them and uh, we trust God will be able to give you answers that can help you. So this evening as we start with the questions, Pastor Vijay, you can begin with prayer. Father, we just thank you, Father, once again, Lord, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all these days that could come. And, Lord, for this 14th session of question and answers, I pray, Father, Lord, once again, we pray that you would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. All of us, Lord, we are your children. Father, we have come to you, and only you and you alone have the answers to all our questions. Lord, you just not only know the question, you know the questioner. And this, this evening, I pray, for all of us who are tuned in, I pray, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would, Father, make every answer relevant to everyone's situation. And I pray, Father, that they'll be encouraged, exhorted. And I pray, Lord, everyone will be edified and will be challenged. They will even more fall in love with you and they will walk with you. And they will, Father, have the sense, sense of assurance that you absolutely love each and every one of us. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, once again for this evening. Commit ourselves to your kind hands. Be with us, O Lord. Let your anointing rest over us. Commit every instrument, O Lord, the transmission, everything, O Lord Jesus. Father, we pray, Father, that you would watch over us from the beginning to the end. And let your name be glorified. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Vijay. So we'll start with the simplest of all questions. Uh, Question number four, Pastor, in the... Four. At what age do I begin to teach my children the word of God and lead them to Christ? And what Bible version, version should I use to teach them? From scripture and what happens in our church, from the womb. Mm-hmm. And we are not joking. We are very serious about it. Because scripture says, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And we also have noticed that within our setting in the church, we encourage we don't even have to say they do it. Our little babies, when they were in their mother's womb, they've always listened to worship and the word being played out in their homes. Yes. And one of the things we have noticed is when they are born and they come to church, they don't wait 40 days and all, okay? They come within two weeks, they come home to church. The kids never make trouble because they're so used to the pastor's voices because they've heard the recording being played over and over <coughs> In, in their hope. That's one of the ways we always tell like um, when the baby is being formed in the mother's womb, looking at scripture, I believe one of the first organs that 
like you have the senses. I believe the, one of the first senses that is activated is the ears. Yes. It's not the eyes because they don't see, they don't smell, they don't taste. But I do believe touch and hearing are the first ones. And we see John the Baptist hearing. Amen. So we believe that when the mother conceives, and that's how the baby is recognized, the mother's voice and the father's voice. And in the same way, if you were to play scripture, because there are things which are hidden to our eyes, we receive it by faith that the word of God can be impressed into the soul of a baby. Then, when, what age do you begin to teach my children the word of God? Like, uh, you see, children have this incredible capacity when they are young to memorize. Incredible capacity. They have Minds are like a, like a sponge that can soak it in. And whatever you give it, they will memorize pretty fast when they are small. small. So I would say that you could start it very early. Very early when they start speaking, you can start little, little verses which they can memorize. And as they grow older, more and more. The thing is, let them memorize scripture. They don't have to understand it. Let them memorize scripture. And because there is certain age when you can memorize and after that it becomes very difficult to memorize as we grow older. And then teaching the children the word of God, let me tell you, children are incredible imitators. Hmm. Incredible imitators. You will see that when Peter is leading worship, we have little fellows in their homes picking their guitar and he's going along with Peter Sir. All kind of things are happening in the homes with the little children, okay? <laughs> and uh, they're very good imitators. Even before they start, if you look at our uh, profile picture on the GTC WhatsApp, you will see uh, my wife and a little little baby uh, head down and praying. So children, no, you will see them covering their head and praying. You will see them walking around with their hands up and worshipping. They're just good imitators. And you need to realize that's what actually happens. You teach the word of God primarily to a child initially by really imitating the life of Christ in your home. Like I always keep saying, why did Samuel become that incredible great man of God? Though he was left loose among the snakes in the temple. Literally, sons of Belial were in the temple. And he was there probably from a very young age. Is because he modeled his life the first five years, six years, exactly on what his mother was before his eyes. His mother was a praying woman. And if you look at Samuel, he was a praying prophet. He was a man of prayer. You see him and all his life, because of that, he walked with God. So I will always tell parents, you know, model that. Model that. Let the child wakes up, hear the mother pray. See the father, study the word, teach little, little things. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it just fundamental principles. Let them see you praying at the table. All these things should be ingrained into their memory because you do not know how it will turn out in the future. Mm. What Bible version should you I use in teaching them? Pastor Vijay uses KJV. <laughs> and his child, how old is Abigail now? She's, she's eight, nine. She's nine years old, and she's read through most of the Old Testament. Yeah, she's reading, yeah. Yeah, and New Testament. She's memorized whole portions of it. 
So I would say like it's up to you, NKJV, KJV, you know, but don't pick translations like NIV, ESV, which has omitted <laughs> and omitted <laughs> a lot of portions of scripture. They have taken it out. So I always say we'll go for a Bible which has the entire scripture and has not editors have, have been cut off important passages like NIV, ESV, new versions, who doesn't have Mark 16. 16. Boy, without Mark 16, how will we survive in the last days? It's mm. impossible to survive in the last days. The promises in Mark 16 are most fundamental in surviving the last days. So take NKJV, which is a modern English, or KJV. If you're comfortable with KJV, you can go about and do it. And uh, so question number five also, we can see that. Can you, can you please, Pastor, recommend for me books I can read on how to raise godly children? First book I would recommend is the Bible. <laughs> okay, always the Bible. Learn, ask God, just go through portions where you see family, Abraham and his children, Isaac and his children, where Isaac went wrong, Jacob and his children, where Jacob went wrong completely. You know, you look through all those portions, God will teach you principles. But better than that, all that is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is an incredible Man. book which teaches you fundamental principles of everything, of life. Then you want to come outside the Bible for easy use to, I would say, one of the best books I found was personally, uh, is James Dobson's Dare to Discipline. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best books I found for, for parenting, dare to discipline. It's new, new versions may be out. I still have a copy, a couple of copies in my library. He's even written about uh, difficult teenagers. Focus on the family. All those from US would know. Focus on family. James Thompson's ministry is based on family. So he's got incredible insights on raising children. And uh, that's, that's the book I would recommend. James Dobson's Dare to Discipline and those who have troubling teenagers, rebellious teenagers, he has books on that too. You know, how you go about and that's very, very helpful, helpful books for parents. Pastor, there's another question related to that. It's question number two. Two. Yes, uh, it says, I have a, uh, I have a yeah, question. Can leave the city you, out yes. here. Uh, sometimes I would have a daughter in such a city. Sometimes I would like to guide her spiritually, but I'm not there always to do so. Her mother is not at all worried about her spiritual life. My worry is being a father. How will I take care of the situation? Will I be responsible for her spiritual life? See, once the child has moved into the teens and have grown apart and is in another city, all you can do is counsel far distance and pray. It's no guarantee they will listen. So all you can do is pray, send them text messages. I would say as far as possible, one of the two parents, the believing parents, pray with the child if you can. If they are open to it, pray and send them stuff. You never know what they will read, whether they will read, what will touch them. You do not know. Keep doing it by faith. Keep doing it by faith and uh, when they come to you for vacation, see that they don't miss church. See that the altar in the house is always there. You pray as a family at home because vacations, they will come home. And even though they have changed when they went out, you need to realize that the house has never changed. That's why the prodigal son came back. You see, they need stability. Amen. The world never offers them stability. Amen. So when he went down the dump, 
he realized there was something still stable. That's his father's house. Mm. And he came back. And we always go back to God because God says, I do not change. I do not change. So everybody ultimately in life looks for something that is constant, that is stable. And we will realize the only thing that is constant and stable is God. And ultimately, you will realize at some point in life, children will look back and say, okay, my dad or my mom, the believing one, was ultimately stable. They're still standing there, still doing what they always did, still praying, still worshipping, still serving God, and that will bring them back. Once our kids get into their teens, it's not an easy thing in today's world, but that's the way I would I would handle it and I would recommend you to handle it. So the quest, first question, um, when will God allow us to be set free from our past sins? Well, that's an important question for everybody listening, okay? Please, please when will God allow us to be set free from our past sins? Is it a daily confession or once we have repented, we are free? Yes and no. As I would, I want um, John chapter 11. And let me see 11, 43 and 44. John 11, 43 and 44 up on the screen and your own screens. This is Jesus by Lazarus' tomb. Okay, Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. And now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. The minute Jesus spoke and called him out, he was alive. He came out alive, but he's not free. He's bound by the stuff they had bound him when he had died. So the minute we truly repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins and our old nature and we are born again. But does that mean we are free? No. Freedom is a journey. We are still bound by so many things of the past. Mm. So many things of the past. And as we are moving into this journey of more and more liberty, of more and more freedom, again, I will ask you to go to the book of Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter seven, uh, three, verse seventeen and eighteen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Remember, it's the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Through the messages you hear, to the Q and A, through your personal study. From reading other books written by godly men and women about the word of God and all, the Holy Spirit will lead you day by day. When you see the spiritual truth and you receive it, you repent and you believe and allow the Holy Spirit, what happens? You have liberty. You are unbound. Mm. A little more in that area. So scripture says, we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We move in more and more and more and more liberty. 
That's a liberty. That's a walk. That's a freedom that comes day. It doesn't come in one day. It's a process. And some of the things, we may fall back again. Some of the things, we may fall back again. Like, you know, this, uh, we see about the great apostle Peter. He falls back again, this approval from the Jewish community. Okay, because that's your culture, that's where you're from. And you want their appreciation, you want their approval. So in the book of Galatians, you will see, even after so many years in the ministry, he falls back. Mm. And Barnabas falls back. And a lot of Jewish believers falls back. And one man stands up. Paul stands up. But just imagine for a minute, what if Paul hadn't stood up at that time? Mm. A whole church would have backslid and gone back into the old ways. And there would have been a division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. One man stood up. Therefore, he spoke and therefore Peter was to repent and come back. Because see, he is still bound in that area. And he did not realize he was bound in that area until Jewish believers came there. Mm. If Jewish believers hadn't come there, he would have continued thinking he is free when he is not free. It is the coming of other Jewish believers, suddenly he went back to his old Jewish identity. So, so many times we will think we are free. Until we are put into that situation and we stumble and we fall and we say, oh, I thought I was free without realizing that thing came. So God will lead. That's what he's telling there. He will lead us from liberty to liberty, from glory to glory. Every time we are set free, when does it happen? When we receive the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, let's go back to that also because this is very important in every believer's life. Uh, John chapter 832. Not 8, uh, 16. John chapter 16 and verse 13. Verse 12. 16, 12 onwards. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus says, everything that he's talking about is freedom Mm. and about liberty. He says, I have so many things to tell you, but you cannot handle it now. You can't handle it. He says, I will wait till the Holy Spirit comes. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And what does truth practically do? It sets you free. He will keep on leading into your truth as much as you can handle in a day. For he will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Okay. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit in mine and everybody's life? It is to lead us to the truth. Truth about what? About who God is and where I am in God. I need both. I need to know who is Christ, God, and who am I? Where have I reached? And as he unravels the truth of both, this is where he is, this is where I am. See, if he doesn't show both, I will not grow. Mm. I will not grow. So he shows it, and when we accept it, we repent. Mm. We are not repenting, oh Lord, not that. We are repenting is basically you are changing your mind about yourself and about God. We repent, we renounce that idea, we receive God's idea, we apply it, and we are setting, being set free even more. So this is a process. So that brother or sister who are answer, ask this question, yes, you are set free, meaning you are forgiven from the penalty of sin. But being set free from the power of sin is an entire life. More and more and more and more. And depending, all depends upon how did you live your life. If you came to the Lord very early before you messed up and much of your thinking is according to the word of God, you never 
messed your mind with all kind of movies and things and all. So it becomes much more easier. But on the other hand, if you messed up your mind and you read too much junk, then you will need to take very, very practically. I'm not saying you need to waste a lot of time. I will tell you, as an example, I will tell you. I grew up reading because both my parents were teachers and there were books all around the house and I started reading very early in life. So, And I read it all inversely. I did not begin by reading children's book. I started reading children's book and the books which were not meant for me, like Pulp Fiction. No, I read my first James Hadley Chase, I think, when I was in class four. I read my Harold Robbins when I was in class five. You're not even supposed to go anywhere near those books. Alistair Maclean. All those I read when I was in class four, it was all lying around. Every two years we get posted out, or two years or less than that. But in every place I finished the library before. So other friends of my father used to bring books from their libraries when they came to weekends so I could read. So I read nothing Christian, okay? I read all this and grew up. Then I kept reading, 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 reading. Then I get saved. Then I come to Hyderabad. Still reading. Now in Iflu with all the junk around. So one of those days God tells me, you have to make up your mind what you're going to read. So that's when I got rid of all my secular books, except two or three. Louis Lamont sitting over there, my old Wild West. Okay, Except that, I got rid of everything. All. My, so now if you look, all I have is Christian fiction. I don't have secular fiction with me. I had to do make that choice, you know. I'm going to make a clean break. I did the same thing with music. All my music cassettes, secular, everything. I didn't really want to give it away to somebody. So those were cassettes. Pulled out everything and put it into the kachara dabba and got rid of it and kept only Christian music. So we, I made a decision. This is what I'm going to read. This is what I'm going to listen. And I'm telling you, after that, it was very easy. Like people ask me, why did you give up your PhD? Because the problem is all the supervisors are atheists non-conforming to the Christian idols. I had to make a choice. Do I want a PhD about whom I will be ashamed of one day that I denied my Lord? Because unlike um, science, literature PhD is based on theories. And theories is what is used to, to interpret a text. So the whole question is, when you are talking about here, do you want your freedom? Do you want your liberty? And one of I look back, uh, but when Pastor Vijay came to me, I said, no, you finish your PhD. Mm. You have to finish your PhD because you are in a different field. You're not in humanities. Finish your PhD. Get your doctorate. It's very useful. But the doctorate also has its useful. It opens certain other doors. Dr. Vijay Itakota means suddenly it has bhav hai. Dunya mein to bhav hai. And some doors open because of that. And it's good. You can preach it. But for people like me, I decided I want to I want to throw it out. It's not worth it because you do not want to do a work and it's out of your hand. It's gone. It's in the library. It will sit there as long as heaven and earth is there. It will sit there before God burns it down. Till then, it will be there a testimony that you denied your God to get a doctorate degree. Mm. And I didn't want that. And I'll give you a simple example so that you understand. There is a famous novel by D.H. Lawrence called Lady Chatterley's Lover. It's a lady, it's a lady, a lord's wife is a lady for those young children who are listening. Her husband is invalid, she cannot walk, he's invalid. So she has an affair with her chauffeur or butler or somebody, chauffeur, chauffeur. she has an affair, okay? So that's the whole book about, okay? 
Now, if I were to write, read an interpretation of, I would call it gross immorality, being unfaithful to your husband, taking advantage. That's how I would read it. But that's not how literary inter- theories interpret it. Feminists would talk about that is the emancipation of a woman and not being tied to her husband who is unable to satisfy her. So she is being set free as a woman. That's how the feminist reading would be. On the other hand, who's using what you call leftist theories to interpret that text would say this is the uh, this, uh, victory of the pro- proletariat over the bursha. It is actually one. That's exactly how they read it. The lady and the chauffeur is one class. There is no class division. So you need to realize what happens in humanities about a simple story about a woman be cheating on her husband is read it in so many different formats. And these are the only formats on which they will accept your your thesis. And you try to bring something on Christianity over there, even though you know your reading is right, they will give you a D. When I wrote about one of my papers was about why communism collapsed. I wrote about the difference between capitalism and communism. I said capitalism is Christ, the love of Christ without the cross. And I said my thesis was communism is the cross without the love. I said that's how you read it. Cross without the love, you will kill people. But you have great burden for the poor and to all the marginalized society, but there is no love. Here you have great love, but you will give. But you will only give after you have eaten full. You will not sacrifice to give. You want your swimming pool and your 15-story, sorry, bedroom, house and everything. And what is left over, you will send it to the third world. That is capitalism. You have love, but no cross. What is communism? You have the cross, but no love. Okay, and I got a D from my supervisor. But that didn't mean I changed my views. I said, I didn't change my views. I said, I, I believe my reading is right. And we were great friends. You know, in the, at, that, at that level, you are good friends. You don't fight or anything. You agree to disagree on your views. Okay, so I'm telling you, this is the issue with reading. So, so at some point, you have to make a clean division and say, you know what? I have decided to follow Jesus. Literally that song. And that song means different things to different people depending upon your choices. Yes. For me, it was that. I'm making a break, and I'm end going that route again. My yes, mom, my mom is old, and she was used. She's bedridden. She has confessed. Is there anything else she has to do? Repented. Does not understand everything, but has asked Jesus for forgiveness. Not sure if it is from her heart. She's 92. Yeah, I mean, leave it to Jesus. She's 92, and how much she can perceive, how much cognitive ability she has left. If she repented. I believe the Lord is very merciful. Okay, very. Look at the look at uh, uh, the thief's confession. Jesus didn't say, "Wait, Peter, let me try some hermeneutics on it." I don't think it fits into our pattern of how you should. He didn't say anything. He said, "You'll be with me in paradise." He looked straight into the heart and realized, "Boy, I accept you. I accept you. Get in. Just get in. Okay, get in." Yeah, that's how God is, okay? So don't worry about it. Don't try to make her understand the depth of repentance and all because they are not running a race to get a crown. They just want to get in. Okay, a lot of people will have nothing. But let them get in. I do believe in deathbed confessions and all that I believe. I've seen it in my life. It happens and we never give up hope for people. Even my dad, it was just two days before he died. We never give up hope. You never know when somebody will come in. So we believe, we pray, and we lead them through that. 
they are in. Don't worry. When God went to the whole extent of allowing his only son to go through that agony on that cross, when his whole soul was poured in for our sake, you think he's going to wait a 92-year-old lady and says, your confession is not right. You need to get right. You are out of the game. No, no. He went to that extent. We have no clue. And that's what God tells that prophet Jonah. Jonah, 120,000 people over there who doesn't know their right from their left. And they went to the extreme. Have you ever heard about a town where the animals are asked to fast? <laughs> but they're Gentiles. They didn't understand. Opa, 40 days and you will be no more. The king de- declared a fast and said everybody will fast. Not even the cow or the goat will eat or drink. That is the extent they went. No, they went. And God said, all in. Hallelujah. All in. And in the time of the law, not even the time of the grace. So the book of Jonah fascinates me. I'm looking at Lock. He, he took an entire town in. And this is the time of the law. It's not the time of grace. So even during the time of the law, grace was still there. Amen. <laughs> still there. That anybody could believe in the blood of the Lamb, repent, and you are in. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So this is question number three. The first part, it says, Pastor James and Pastor Vijay, you study for us. Is this for one message or you study every day? How do you study from the Bible or the different guides? No, we do not study for a message. We do study for a message too, but not primarily do we study for a message. My name is Bobby and hobby is studying the word, okay? (laughs) Just joking. We love studying the word. We love it. So that's what we do. That's what we are called to do. But let me tell you sometimes, let's say this morning's message, you heard for one and a half year, uh, one and a half hours, you heard the message. If you ask me, how long did it take me to prepare? When people ask me this question, Pastor, how long did you get, take to prepare a message for one and a half years, or one and a half hours? I will say 25 years. (laughs) Every message is part of all that we learned all our life. Okay, all our life. That's what we do. We study, we study, we study, and we study, and we study. But when it comes to particular messages, we learn on to the Spirit, and it shows us it falls into place. But if we had not studied, it wouldn't have fallen into place. Okay, because even when it's falling into place, internally we know it is right. This is the order. This is God speaking. Where do that we come from that? We come from that the years we have spent constantly studying the word of God. That's how we do it. How do we study from? Yes, we study. Our primary text is the Bible. And for me personally, I I read, I don't listen so much. But the only person I listen to is Derek Prince. Uh, Other than that, I read. I read everybody. I don't discount any man of God. I'll tell you why. One of the things that happened to me, years and years ago, I was in what you would call a mainline church where they had they had called me to preach. So when you are young and you got your nose up in the air because you think you know a lot of the word, you have you look down upon mainline churches where they have this one hour service and they sing and they read from this book, every prayer is from the book and the word is so insipid, you know, sometimes pride comes in. So I was sitting there and this priest he was uh, he had his robes on and with all the glittering colours and everything and he was going on to the pulpit 
the lectern and he was about to invite me and I was sitting on the podium with the other priests and when I was looking at him, I looked down. And when I looked down, the Lord, literally I believe the Holy Spirit directed me to his trousers which were showing from the bottom of his robe. And his trousers edge was all torn. All torn. And I looked at it and I was looking at I don't know, I was just looking at it and I heard the Holy Spirit say, that too is my servant. Don't look down upon him. Some of them did not have your privilege. Home. Education. To know as well as you. Never look down at my servants. Never look down. So one of the things I have learned is I have learned to I have uh, learned to study, listen, uh, read any denomination, any denomination, except Catholic, of course. Catholic, of course, I have only read one, and I will not mention his name. He's one of the best Catholic theologians ever, modern times. Okay, and he's good. He's good. I've learned from him where he's right, and I ignore him when he's wrong. Okay, so I'm not mentioning you because then you'll all ex-Catholics will go jump on to him. He's really, really good. Okay, and he was one of the best in the last hundred years the Catholic Church produced. I'm not talking about Augustine and all. Okay, but what I'm saying, except that, except the Catholic theologians, I listen to, I read everybody, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist. No, I, I don't have any of this thing, but I always ask the Holy Spirit to be guide me, because this is my personal conviction. God hasn't given the complete revelation to any man or any denomination to humble us, yes. so that we'll all learn from everybody, each other, yes. each other everybody. Yes. I don't think even Paul knew everything. I believe when he read Peter's letter. That's why Peter's letter and Paul's letter are not identical. Yes, yes. And James' letter and Paul's letters, when you see, so look at uh, James' letters, you will see stuff there which Paul has not written at all. Mm. At all. Because God hasn't given it to any man. He will not. So that we will humble ourselves and learn from everybody. And even yes, in, in, the, in the Acts of uh, Apostles in the mm. chapter 15, even when there was a question regarding the church mm. thing, they mm. had to go. And James so, was yeah. the one who sets the order. Finally sets, sets the, the order. order. So order. Yeah, no, so. this thing. so one of the things I'll always say that I will learn from anybody. I have no issues. Only when I know my primary, what you call doctrines. So if they err in that, I I move out of it. But where they are right, I accept it. I have learned so many from every denomination. So, <laughs> Pastor Vijay, you drank wine in Portugal? Did you? <laughs> get, mm. okay, yeah, yeah, fine. Pastor Vijay, uh, you have a drunken question. Sorry, <laughs> not a drunken question, a wine question. Uh, were you? Uh, did you get drunk? Were you just normal? I asked because I like wine and I'm in control of the wine. The wine is not in control of me. So my question is: if you, if you control your intake, is it okay? You're not obnoxious. You're still ladylike. Is that still okay? Well, I didn't get drunk. It was a very small quantity I consumed. <laughs> and uh, that was a conference. So I didn't get drunk. And I don't know whether um, wine can really give you a high. I'm not sure about that. No, I would see, dear no. brothers and sisters who are writing from Australia, US, Europe and all that. Let me tell you, this is not a law. 
Okay. Mm. So each one knows yourself. And wine is not a bad drink or a harmful drink and all, depending upon what wine you drink. Okay. I never say you should never drink wine and nothing like that. Okay. Because I do believe it has its health benefits. It is, I mean, if you can do it in moderation, handle. I only say don't go into alcohol or beer, but I'm talking about wine over here. I don't think, I don't see anything per se immoral in drinking wine and all. No. I do believe in the ancient world, they all drank wine because pure water was difficult to get. They all drank wine, I believe. So I'm not making any, I'm talking about myself. This is my decision which I personally made. So I would leave it to all of you to make your own convictions about things. But the Bible does not say, you thou shall not drink. It gives you the dangers of getting drunk and drinking too much wine. Like then I said, but if you have a history of drinking too much and losing control, and you see that happening with you, as you grow older, you realize, I need more wine now, then I would say put in safety measures over that. I think like my sugar intake is more dangerous than some people's wine. Yeah. I don't like praying a lot, but I like singing to Jesus and playing the guitar, not not so much of praying. Can we also have a Q&A on how to study the Bible? How do you research and study for people like us who have never studied the Bible? Uh, I, I believe uh, some of you, these questions are written by new people. So, yes, praying. Uh, praying also, you need to pray and you learn to, will learn to pray and the Holy Spirit also will teach you to pray. So you just surrender each day and learn to pray. And praising is part of it. It's not that we pray. I mean, I can't pray like my wife. I cannot go on hours like that. I will pray and then I'll go back to studying that word. And I am not somebody who sings like so much. I whistle. I whistle better than I sing. So when I'm in a mood to worship, I whistle. And uh, or I put on my headphones and sing along. No, so the whole idea is God is primarily looking into your heart. But we all need to learn to pray, because if you go to Acts chapter six and verse four in the Hindi message today, mm-hmm. I was talking about the seven fundamental disciplines for a disciple, and the first two is we will give ourselves continually mm-hmm. to prayer and to the ministry of okay. the word. word. Two things, absolutely. One is word. One is prayer. Every believer has to pray. These two disciplines, because everything can be taken away from you, but you should be able to have memorized enough scriptures to be able to just locked up in a cell, and you should be still be able to meditate on the word, still be able to pray, and still be able to praise. And you will see that's what Paul and Silas does in the prison. When they are locked up, they are praying, and they are praising. So that's how you go about it. Hallelujah. And about how to study the Bible, yes, Pastor Vijay was telling me maybe we need to take a session, not Q&A, but on how to study the Bible. Uh, maybe, see, you cannot follow our ways because we are researchers <laughs> and we do our research completely different ways, different ways. So we will we will try to give you a general application about how to study your Bible. To start off, I would say do it simple. Do a portion from you. I would say divide the Bible into into four 
do a little portion from your Old Testament, a psalm, how many verses you can handle, a proverb, and a portion from the New Testament. So you are covering all the four divisions, okay, what we would call the prophets, the songs, the wisdom literature, and the New Covenant, you know, and if you can handle more, go more, go more, but keep a notebook, and whenever you study something, always write and ask, Lord, what are you teaching me? We are not here for knowledge. Mm. We don't have much time left. So yes. We need life. Yes. What are you teaching me that I can appropriate, which it becomes life for me? Amen. And he will answer you, what is life? And sometimes you may not even understand it, but just go ahead and read it. Read anyway. it. And he if will, God will come back and he will bring it to your memory, yes. he will teach you. Okay. So, Pastor, we'll be going to the theology section for the first time. Okay. <laughs> Again, uh, this is question number three in the theology section. Pastor James said that in sin, that sin and transgression is a verb, that is action, and iniquity is a noun. According to Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, it says the axe is already at the root. What does it mean? Okay, these are two different questions. Yeah, sin and transgression, meaning transgression is an act. It's an act. There is a law. Law says, let us say, law says, 50 miles per hour. When you, you pedal and your speedometer shows 51, you have transgressed the law. And you have fallen short of the standard expected by the state. Mm. So, there is a verb, there is an action over there. But if you continue, nobody caught you, there is no radar, there is no camera, what happens, you constantly have this habit of speeding, mm. then what happens, it becomes iniquity. Mm. It becomes iniquity. Now what happens, you are not able to control. Now the traffic is crowded, and what do you do? What do you do? You speed in traffic. You weave through. And before you know, you hit somebody and you kill him. Yes. Mm. Why did you kill that person? Why did you weave through that traffic? Why did you do all that? Because you simply are not able to control it. You know why you are not controlled? Because you got to the habit of speeding and you didn't check yourself. You didn't get caught. You didn't control yourself. It became iniquity. I'm simply trying to explain to you what iniquity means in terms of a... If what happens on the streets, okay? So in the same way, when Bible is talking about iniquity, that's how iniquity develops. You are bent in a particular way. Everybody's iniquity is not the same, and a person can and have more than one iniquity, mm -hmm. bent in a particular way. And some of you are struggling. You sin, you cry, you repent, you go back again. But what's happening, it's that iniquity. And if you deal with that iniquity, and let's go to 3.10, that word, verse that has given. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Yeah. It's basically talking about dealing with the root of the issue. Okay, you look into your life and you say, you know what? I'm not bearing good fruit in this, in this area. What is causing it? See, remember that fig tree with Jesus cursed? Mm. And scripture says it dried from the root upwards. Yes. Okay. Our problem is if you deal just with sin, it's like trimming the branches. Mm. What happens? The next season it comes back again. God says if you want to really get rid of something, you have to go to the root. 
you have to go to the root, like doctors should do. What is causing this sick? Why is it coming back over and over again? I had fever, took Tylenol, cross in whatever, it went away. Five days later, it came back again. Again, took one, two days, it went, again came back. Then realized, okay, this is an underlying problem. What is causing this fever? And then when you do all your tests, you realize the underlying issue was something else. Yes. Now the antibiotic that is prescribed is hitting the root. Okay, in the same way you have to realize what is causing that I am not bearing fruit. What is the root? And the axe has to be laid to the root. You have to, don't trim branches. You have to deal with it. And the simple, beautiful example we I always give in the churches is connected with Zacchaeus. Mm. No? Now, Jesus is going through Jericho. There's a massive crowd over there. Massive crowd over there. And this everybody is crowding on the streets to see him. Midst of it is a small, short man. He's a rich tax collector, big guy, big money. He climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus stops and sees him. Mm. That's one of the different comes in the Bible. Come down. Come down. I'm going coming to your house for supper today. I'm coming to your house. Okay, incredible. The Holy Spirit prompts him to send, gets, gives him the name also. This is called, we call different gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is called the gift of knowledge. Immediately he gets his name and says, come down, I'm coming to your house. He goes to his house. The Holy Spirit is all over Jesus. The Spirit of God convicts this man and he stands up under conviction. He says, from whoever I have stolen, I will give four times over. Now he's accepting. He has an issue in his life, the outward sin which people notice, which is stealing. Thou shalt not steal. So he's accepting, I steal. But then there is the tenth one that empowers it, that he covets. So he says, half my wealth I will sell and give to the poor. After that he won't steal. He doesn't have to do the second one. But he realizes, what's he doing? He's laying the axe at root. the root. Okay, so people have to realize a lot of people who fall in sexual immorality. What is the sin? The sexual immorality. What is the root? Lust. Lust. Mm. So you have to ask God, I want to deal with the lust. Mm. I want to deal with the lust. And what God will ask you to, how it may differ from person to person, depending upon what their situation is. You lay the axe to that, you don't go back to that again. You don't go back to that again. Like, uh, no, the root goes behind slander, gossip, murder, everything is anger. You are very angry with your brother. Angry with your brother. That's the iniquity. Very angry inside. And it's deep-rooted anger, misdirected anger. You have to deal with the anger. Once you have dealt with the anger and you come to that and dealt with that's the iniquity and you dealt with that, how God shows you, you will realize suddenly you don't hate your brother, you don't just gossip about your brother, you don't slander about your brother, you don't justify the stuff you are doing, it's all gone. It's all gone. You have to deal with that. So it says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 2, Jesus shall save his people from their sins. Does this mean that Jesus came only to save us from our sins and not iniquity? No, no, no. That's not what it means. You have to go to Isaiah 53 verse 5. And everything is included over there. But you need to realize when it talks about sin, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So when God is coming, he's coming to save us and to restore us back to the glory which we lost. 
That is the robe of righteousness we get. That's what it means. Actually, it actually means he shall deliver us from our sin. Okay, so if you look at 53.5, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Everything is involved over there. But remember, sin is the main thing. Main thing in the sense, if there is no sin, there is no iniquity. Yes. There's no iniquity. Iniquity comes after repeated sinning. If there is no sin, there is no iniquity. So the key thing is sin. Okay? Sin. And what empowers sin is the law. Okay, when you transgress the law, you have sinned. So ultimately, if you look at it, sin is the issue. Sin is the issue. Sin is the issue. So God comes and deals, once his head is dealt with sin, the sin nature is taken away and replaced with, not taken away, he has dealt with it and given us a new nature. The old nature is there, but now we are learning that uh, earlier I was born in sin, so I sinned. Now I have been reborn in righteousness. I'm fighting sin. Yes. I'm fighting sin. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, Pastor Vijay. This is uh, uh, question number four. Just Jer- for Pastor Vijay. Jeremiah is for Pastor Vijay. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 24. Uh, I'm just going to make a few comments and then Pastor is going to elaborate on that. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 24, please, if you will. Can you just put it on screen? It's only 1 to 10. The Lord showed me and there were two baskets. Okay, let me just read the question first. This is for Pastor Vijay, good and bad figs. Please explain this. It is a short passage. Has it anything to do with Jesus cursing the fig tree? That's the reason why I put it, Pastor. And connection, and kind of connection over there. The Lord showed me and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away Captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the craftsmen and the smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that were first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, and figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the, of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, and that I may that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And as the bad fix which cannot be eaten, they are so bad, surely thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem, who remain in the land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to the trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth, for their harm to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, the famine and the pestilence among them, till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers." The first part, of course, is talking about those people who are, I mean, the figs which are good. And he's explaining and describing them. If you look at them, it's verse 3, it says, these are the people, uh, verse 4, sorry, verse 4, uh, verse 4, uh, doctor. Uh, he says, like these good figs, so will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. If you, if you see this, these are the people who actually accepted the discipline of the Lord in their lives. Okay. There are several fruits in a Christian's life. 
And one of the fruit that God is looking for is the fruit of discipline. Okay? This, this fig, fig tree over here is talking about the fruit of discipline. If you turn with me to uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you will see a very interesting uh, verse. Verse 7 onwards it says, If you endure chastening or discipline, God does, deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Okay, And then it says, But if you are without chastening, of which all have became, become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subject in subjection to the father of the spirits and live? And live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us that we may be uh, for what seemed best to them, but for our profit that we may be made partakers of his holiness. And then if you look at verse 11, it says, Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, one of the things that God looks for is the fruit of discipline. And God disciplines us because we are his sons. And which son does not receive discipline? Every son has gone through the process of discipline. And look at, if you look at what God is looking at here in this point, He is looking for the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have trained by it and holiness. Both of these, both of these are important. Um, separation and righteousness. And what is righteousness? We heard it so many times. It is knowing the ways of God. How does God uh, uh, do things? So like for example, if you go back to Jeremiah, it says, I will give them a heart to know me and they will come back to me and then they will come back to me and they will come back to me with a whole, with, and they will worship me with a whole heart. You can see that. Uh, verse 6 or 7, if I'm right. Yeah? Of Jeremiah chapter 24. 24, 7. 7, yes. It's there in my pad. Yeah. Okay, so it says, uh, then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And you see verse four, verse 6, I will bring them back to this land, I will build them, not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them out. What has happened? God has pulled them out from this from Israel, disciplined them, okay, and now because they have come under the discipline of God, they have have the fruitable, uh, peaceable fruit of righteousness and holiness, but the rest of the gang said no. And God says, okay, and I'm going to let you go, and famine, the sword, everything is going to consume you. So one of the most important things every parent does to his child, two things a, par- a, a child needs in every home. What does he need? He needs love, assurance, and he needs discipline. Only then there's a a complete overall growth of the child. And one of the things that all parents do, and it says uh, parents do it for their own profit, but God does it for our profit so that we might ultimately uh, have a fruit, a peaceable fruit of righteousness and holiness. Both these things are important. That we are separated unto God and we begin to know the ways of God and we also have a heart uh, to understand and know the ways of God. See, discipline itself, understand, um, taking discipline itself is a discipline, you see. Okay, all right. So, Master, you want to add, add to that? Yeah. Well, can I have a 
Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9. Luke chapter 13, 6 to 9. Yes. Got it? He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? He answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. You will see the same imagery is there in the Old Covenant too. Meaning, as a type, God is saying is that once a person is saved, he gives him roughly around three years, mm. depending upon age, okay? I'm not talking about children, three years, to start producing the fruit. Mm. Thing is that, Jesus also says, when you start producing fruit, the branches that produce, he prunes it. He doesn't prune the ones which doesn't, but he cuts it away. But that produces fruit, he prunes it further, that he will bear even more fruit. Now, practically, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23. So that I as a person... As a child of God, how do I judge myself about fruit? Mm. Pastor Vijay talked about the fruit, peaceable fruit of righteousness. Okay? But how do I judge? I really want to know. And this is because, Lord, are you coming into my life? Are you checking it out? Are you cutting me off? How do I know? Scripture. Now, remember, if you look at that construction, Galatians 5.22, it doesn't say fruits. It's the fruit. It says fruit. Mm. But the fruit of the Spirit is Love. Let's stop over there. When you talk about love, you have to go to Corinthians and read that few verses and see, is my love like that? Mm. The first thing about love is, scripture says, love is kind. Right? Let's, let's take a look. Okay. So that people know where we are coming from. One, first Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Let's leave the rest of it. Please, brethren who are reading, take that chapter, verse 4, to verse 8, the first part of verse 8, that is the entire definition of what true love is. Because the world talks about lots of fake loves, it's all emotion. This is true love. So the fruit of the Spirit first mentioned is love. And the first thing about love that is mentioned is love suffers long. Meaning it's very patient. And you need to ask ourselves, have I become more patient over the years? Simple thing. And that everybody knows. Mm. I used to lose it earlier. I don't lose it like before. And I actually don't lose it at all. Love suffers long. Okay, you are patient. That's not enough. The second part of it. Am I kind? This is how we evaluate ourselves. And you go back to Galatians. The Galatians say this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and fruit can be evaluated. You have it or you don't have it. So when in the fig tree, God is using this as an imagery, and if Jesus is coming to a person, he's looking into his life, after three years, he says, you are still the hard neck you always were. Mm. You are not patient. You are not kind. You are still nasty. And other words, God is telling him, go check, are you really saved or not? Yes. Are you really saved or not? Mm. Right? What does it say? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and Joy. joy. Peace, 
Do you have joy? Or you have happiness? Do you have joy? Deep inside you realize, you know what? Yes, things are all happening, but I have joy. This has to be, this is the proof of the pudding that you are saved. How do you know you are saved? There is something that happens inside of you that is saved, which you know you did not have it before. And you know it's not your creation. It's not, you're not manufacturing it. Happenings, the simple explanation we tell you is happiness is when things happen in your life. Mm -hmm. When good things happen, you are very happy that everybody in the world is. But even when good things don't happen, you still realize deep inside you are not shaken. You have that joy. So you will see the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then self-control. Like we talk about the bolt and the nut. You put all of it in. Love is the first one. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. All that is good. But if you don't have the nut to tighten it, that is self-control, it will drop off. It will drop off. What do you need in life? Most important, one of the most most important love and after that self-control. You lock it up so that you are balanced always. You need self-control. Okay, That's how I would. So when scripture talks about Jesus coming to this tree and he found no fruit in it, he cursed it. Yes. yes, it's a kind of Israel. Yes. Okay, it's a kind of Israel. And Israel just dried up. Mm-hmm. Still dried up. Mm-hmm. If they want life, they need to turn to Christ. Just dried up. I mean, secular speaking, okay, they are prospering. Spiritually, you know. Poor fellows doesn't even have a temple to go to worship. The temple is also in the hands of somebody else. Just dried up. Because what is Israel prominently known for? It is known for their religious life. Yes. But when it comes to the religious life, they have completely dried up. They are not a testimony of who God is. Amen. Okay, they dried up. And he, he, so that's what he's talking about. Then the Jeremiah one, yes. He dispersed them all around the nations, but you only hear about a remnant coming back from Babylon. Don't hear about a remnant coming back from anywhere. So God dispersed everybody. But one dispersion was a different kind of a judgment. It was a different, it was protection. Meaning, Jacob had 11 sons. Let's leave Benjamin alone. 11 sons. 10 of them, he kept them in the house. And they fell apart. One, he protected them as a slave and as a prisoner. And that fellow was safe. The others fell apart. Okay, so you have to understand how God's uh, ways in history. Yes, Pastor Peter, let's go to. Okay, so again it says, uh, question number five is again from Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said the middle of the book, Jeremiah, Pastor, uh, Pastor Vijay said in nutshell 29.11, God has plans to prosper and not to harm, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of harm done as well, right? And that harm was done only because of Israel's disobedience and Judah's disobedience. Yeah, the harm is done... Only to those people who don't receive correction. Correction and discipline, yes. Okay, harm is done. The purpose of discipline, like you you commit a crime, you are sent into prison. And in the prison, let's say you are sentenced for five years. You have so many opportunities even in prison to do well. Yes. I've heard of a lot of people who they get their degrees. I know myself, so many have done well in prison. They took their degrees, they changed. They, that's the whole purpose and uh, uh Purpose of the prison. In US, they have another term. What do you call it? Penit- 
penitentiary, something like that. You have a word which comes from the word penitent, mm. which means repentant. Rem- repentant. repentant. Okay? So that's what it's called. Meaning you are sent there. Okay. If you leave you out, you'll do more crime. But you are sent to you. It's not just a punishment. It's also more like a reformatory. You need to reform yourself, come out. You have something that is called a halfway house. Yes. And then you are released into the society and you can do it. Really, really well. Of course, you may not get a federal job, but everybody doesn't, even without going to prison, you don't get a federal job. So that's not the whole point. Mm -hmm. The thing is that you could be learned well from discipline. And you will see Daniel became the top guy, top gun in Babylon. In Babylon, Mm -hmm. his three friends became satraps. Nehemiah became the cupbearer. Esther became the queen of Babylon. They did well. Absolutely. And Mordecai also. And Mordecai, they all did well. Mm. Extremely well they did well. Okay, they reached the pinnacle of the Babylonian society, yet kept, stayed righteous. Amen. And the remnant came back. A remnant came back. So the discipline worked for them. Yes. Did the discipline work for all of them? No. No. Okay, we can discipline. That does not mean discipline will work. It depends upon the person who is receiving See, it. If, will you it. if you endure chisel. If you endure. If you, endure. if you learn from your discipline, then it is fine. Otherwise, you will not. Actually, in the morning, you, uh, uh, Pastor was talking about Isaiah chapter 55. It says that, my, you know, you don't have to turn there. It says, mm-hmm. my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. One of the ways we'll understand the thoughts of God is when we go to discipline. 29.11 will say that. It says that I have thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, Jeremiah 29.11, doctor. It says, and thoughts of peace and not of evil. You see, you understand the ways of God only when you come under the discipline of God and you will understand that God is indeed good. Alright, and that is how a peaceable fruit of righteousness is produced in your life because you have known now, okay, this is the ways that have gone and these are all absolutely wrong and you come back to that straight and narrow path. And therefore, you begin to grow in righteousness and passes it not as, not everybody is willing to do that. And I believe one of the significant, uh, what do you say, quintessential characteristics, if you will, of a person who's gonna, who's gonna be successful spiritually is how he handles discipline. The best discipline is self-discipline. Amen. <laughs> it's a free man's yoke. You need to realize that discipline came only after Adam and Eve fell. There was mm. no discipline in the garden. Because they didn't need discipline. Yes. A lot of people don't need discipline. If you discipline yourself, you don't need to be disciplined by God. God is not a tyrant sitting over there who gets a lot of joy from kicking people around. No. no. He doesn't do that. No father beats up his children unless he is crazy and drunk. Yes. He doesn't beat up his children. No, he doesn't do that. You know, so discipline has its own purpose. And if it is not required, you don't need discipline. Did Joseph need discipline? No. He needed a little discipline. He showed off his coat. So he needed that. But he needed that taken off. But he was being trained. He was not being disciplined also has another meaning called training. Training. The child will look at it as hardship, but it is training. If you join the army, can you sleep? Can you do what you want? Do you call it punishment? No. It's training. Yes. So it shall we change because the discipline has a very negative connotation. connotation. Yes. Shall we change the term to training? Yes. That's it. Those were trained. Trained by, by it. Trained okay. by Yet, doesn't the army have discipline? Absolutely. Yes. So discipline, training. Remember, it is from discipline you get a disciple. Mm-hmm. If there is no discipline, you don't get disciples. No discipline, no disciples. That doesn't mean because you have discipline, you are a disciple either. <laughs> there are a lot of disciplined, incredibly disciplined people in the world who are not disciples. 
were not disciples. This is talking about the discipline of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Okay, yes, Pastor Vijay. Okay, so we have, uh, uh, do you want to take question number two, Pastor? Or is it going to be a full, which one? Full, full in the theology section. Theology, which full, one is Full it? sermon, it'll be, a, I think. Question number two in theology section, Pastor. It's next previous page. Oh. What do we as sinners decipher from Romans? It's going to be a... Yeah, but that's basically talking about the the struggle between the old man and and the the new man. man. 7.15. It's the struggle between the old man. Remember, when God saved us, that does not mean he finished the old man off. The old man is still there. He leaves it to us to kill him every day. So there is a battle every day. Every day. And you have to recognize first there is nothing good in me. Mm. Nothing in good. And our major struggle, I always tell to well-meaning Christians, your major struggle is not with so much with the bad man inside. It is the good part of the bad man. Mm. You remember in the old man there was good and bad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God accepts neither. Much of waste is done by the good man in the kingdom of God. Because he will jump into a ministry with that good of the old man and waste all the resources. All the resources. That's where the problem lies. When God says repent, he says repent from dead works. Meaning that good also was dead. Mm. It made no change in your portfolio. Nothing at all. So the problem is we have to cease we have to cease doing that. We have to cease that. Because let us say, many brethren who are listening, uh, Muslim brethren, and or Catholic brethren, they have an entire system of good works implanted in them, according to that religion. Yes. They do a lot of good works. It's good. It's good for the society. But the problem is, once I come to the Lord, I have lost my autonomy. I've lost it. I belong to my God, body, soul, and spirit entirely. Now the good works I am called to do are the works which he prepared for me from the beginning to do. And everything is controlled by the spirit and the word. Earlier I used to go around and take care of widows. Now the Bible puts stricture. No widow who has relatives should be taken care of. You are not helping her, you are enabling her. Suddenly my paradigm shift has taken place. No widow should be taken care of who has not taken care of saints and washed their feet. Now it's not my autonomy. I liked helping all the widows. God says, no, who told you? Whose is your body? Mine or yours? Yours, Lord. Whose is the resources? Mine or yours? Yours, O Lord. Mm. So you listen to me. If any man who walked on earth could have done every good work possible, it was Jesus Mm. Christ. He didn't do. Always that stuns me is John chapter 5 where he walks into the pool at Bethsheda full of crippled people. This is a man who looked at the crowds and had compassion passion upon them. And he healed one and walks away. Doesn't even tell who he is. Why did he do it? Because he's led by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. That is what we are talking about. When we are talking about good works, we are not talking about the good works of the old man. We are not talking about the good works of the old man. We are talking of the good works which God has prepared for. Can we go to Ephesians chapter 3, 2 and verse 10?
For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, for works, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm not saying that if you see a beggar, you should not feed him, give him alms, and you have got extra, give it away. I am not talking about that. What I am talking about is that don't start anything consistently unless God tells you. Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000. He fed a crowd of 4,000. He did not start a ministry where he fed people every day. He didn't do it. Why? Because his father didn't tell him. But to George Muller, God told him. And it came in every day for him. Every It was miraculous how it came to him every day. Even when they had nothing, he got all the orphans around the table, bent their heads down and said, let us thank God for his provision by faith. The tables is empty, the plates are empty. A little later there is a knock on the door because a cart that was taking fresh baked uh, bread has broken down. So they said, oh, Muller's orphanage is here. By the time it reaches, it will go stale anyway, so give it to him. And suddenly they have fresh baked um, bread sitting on everybody's plate. And he believed and he trusted God. And he, God worked it out for him because he knew that God had called him to that. you know. Now that is a work which God had prepared for him mm-hmm. to do beforehand. Now he's not doing his works. Now God is doing his works through him. This is where we need to understand the workmanship. That is what God is talking about. But our problem is we have to repent from both. Repent from both. Because these are all dead works. Because it can become iniquity. Because you are bent in a certain way to do things. You don't bring it into the kingdom of God. You are dead. You crucify it and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's how Jesus walked. Jesus walked. You will never hear in three and a half years of his life, he made a chair or a table for somebody, though he was good in making that. He could have made in my spare time. Let me know. But he allowed Paul to make tents. So there is no one cap fits all. To Paul, he said, go there, you're going into a new mission, don't take a pie from them, let the gospel be free, earn your own living. That's exactly what God told me when I went to another nation. He said, you will not take a pie from them, your service will be entirely free. You have a job, take your salary, don't take one rupee from any one of them. And I didn't. He said, can you give us a salary? I said, nope, I'm preaching every day. Can we pay your telephone bill? I said, nope. Can we buy your provisions? I said, no, nothing. God said, so that they will believe that your word is true, that you did not come here to receive, you came here to give. Mm. After that, when I went, they believed. I did not come here to take your money. So you have to trust God. When you're going on a mission ground, first mission ground, you're waking ground over there, you have to be very careful that you hear very clearly what God is telling you so that they will believe, because everybody will come. And then so many places they changed, because first thing is any meeting, at the end of it there is an offering. I said, why do you take an offering? Why do you need to take an offering? I said, did you see Jesus taking offering in every meeting? He didn't do that. I said, that messes up the word. Trust God, Preach and trust God. Let the offerings be in the church. And God will provide for you so that people will know you have come out and you really came out not seeking money. You came out because you were called. And then your works. And you will also learn how to walk by faith and trust God. No, Otherwise, it's like a scam. Hmm. No wonder they look down upon 
servants of God. And I don't know how many of them are really servants of God. They're servants of mammon. No, so this is what we are talking about. So when uh, Romans uh, 7 is talking about, Paul is talking about the internal conflict he is facing. There are things which I want to do. Or the things which I want to do, I don't do. The things which I don't want to do, I end up doing. Wretched man I am. Who will save me? I never realize Christ Jesus. That's how he enters the narrative. Right? Yes. Christ Jesus. What does it mean? Every day. So he says, I die daily. So Christ Jesus lives in me daily. Otherwise, if he, if, he, if Saul of Tarsus stops Christ from living in him, one day I'll show you a portion where I believe Paul went wrong. Or maybe it was a test. I'm not judging Paul or scripture. I'm just reading it as it is. 16. Acts 16. Acts 16. Mm. No, no, where he is, uh, not 16, where Agabus comes, no? That is in... Uh, okay, okay. One second. Yeah. Mm. So, Acts 21.10. 21, yeah. Yeah, if you come to Acts after 21.10, if you look at that. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. If you look at verse 9, he's staying in Philip. The Philip you see in Acts chapter 6, who's got four daughters who prophesy. None of them prophesied. And then 10, Agabus comes. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with the with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the honor of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Yes. When we heard this, we and the people that pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem, Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he could not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I'm not 100% sure, but I feel that his zeal took over his wisdom. Why I will tell you is this. 21, go to 21 and verse 4. If he didn't appeal to Caesar. Mm. No, verse 4. Finding disciples, we stayed there and there were seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. That one thing, Spirit changes everything. They told, the disciples told through the Spirit to Paul, not to go. First witness. Second witness, the prophet comes. Don't go. And then he goes. Appeals to Caesar. Gets picked up. Appeals to Caesar. Now you turn to the end of book of Acts. And verse 30. 28. 28 and verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came. What is that? He's under house arrest. But he has to pay the rent. Why? You appeal to Caesar. You have to wait years to see Caesar before your court case comes up. What a waste of time. Stuck. The best man God has on planet Earth is stuck in a house in Rome waiting for an audience. You know why? Because I believe his zeal got over his wisdom. He didn't listen. And God allows him. Okay, go. Go. Okay, so that's why even apostles can make terrible mistakes. Hmm. 
And, but God covers it all and still uses us. It's not a sin or a great terrible sin or anything. No. He's erring on the side of zeal for God, not against God. Again, God loves him, appreciates him, but I believe he wasted a lot of time. Because where God had very few people like him who could use. This was an incredible man. Imagine two years he still traveled all around Asia Minor and strengthened the churches. Instead he's in a hundred house arrest. He can't move. All he can teach is people who are allowed to come into his house. He can't go out. And I believe it's because of one mistake he made. He should not. He went to Jerusalem before his time. He was supposed to go, but he went before his time. He didn't wait for God's time. So we also can, in our zeal, make mistakes like that. No, that is why we're talking about zeal and wisdom. Mm. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And when he says, stop, stop. When he says, move, move. And always cross-check. Are you sure, Lord, you want me to go? Because we have to go with him in his time. Yes, Pastor Vijay? So the last question we may want to take for the day is the question number one in theology. Did you one in theology. Okay, yes. which one is that? Okay. This is something which... Abraham lies, Isaac lies, Jacob lies. All generations are liars. Yeah. The meaning, it, they are bent that way. Iniquity. Bent that way. They could have come out. They could have come out. I mean, there is a natural bent towards that. Basically, if you go to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. Oh, 6. Or or 8, 8. 8, 8, 8. Not 7, verse 8. But the cowardly, that is the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But the list begins with the fearful. Mm. Why do people usually lie? Because they're fearful. One of the main reasons is because they are fearful. Mm. Or just for a false pretense. To pretend to be what you are when you are not. It's not fair. It's like public appreciation they want. They want to look good before people. Not They are afraid, but they want that devil's kind of thing. So, fearful people. So, Abraham was afraid. That's why he lied. Hmm. Isaac was afraid. That's why he lied. Okay? Jacob lied. And then he was afraid. Hmm. He was a, he was not afraid of Esau in the beginning, but he lied. He was willing to deceive him. Use any opportunity. So what happens is you get bent in a particular way. That's what it is talking about. That doesn't mean all generation. Any generation can, like I believe my father was alcoholic. Maybe my grandfather was alcoholic. Maybe his father also alcoholic. I don't touch. Do I have to be an alcoholic? No. I still have a choice. Mm. Still have a choice. I don't even touch. I don't even want to touch it. Did Joseph lie? No. Mm. Isn't he the fourth generation? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Fourth generation. I will visit the iniquity of the father up to the fourth generation. But, but that guy came through. Sparkling clean. But the other brothers, ten brothers lie? Of course Absolutely. they did. All of them lied. <laughs> but one guy came through without lying. Okay. So it, it is not that you are you are Judged, predestined to be that way. No, there is a bent over there. But you can straighten out and say, I'm not going that way. I'm changing my direction. I'm going another way. The free will is not being manipulated there. You still have the free will. And with the knowledge you have over there, like I was a young boy. I was a young boy. I did not know Christ. I had no idea about Christ, Christianity, nothing. All I saw is what is happening in my house. And I decided as a young boy, you know what? 
I don't like it. It's not that I didn't taste. Always there was leftover in my, those glasses. Mm. And I tried this. I couldn't handle the smell of uh, beer at all. I said, how can people even drink this? Okay. But more than that, I looked at what was happening and says, if this is what causes this, I don't want it. Mm. You don't have to be a Christian for that. You think only Christians don't drink? Actually, Christians drink more. A lot of others who don't drink at all. So what I'm saying is, you could have it all down your family line and you can still walk away free and say, I'm not going that way. Because that free will is there. And free will is something which God has given to every man to choose. Right? God said, he made, do not eat. The minute he says, don't eat from the tree, that means there is a choice to eat or not to eat. And then he comes to Israel and says, I said before you, life and death, blessings and curses, you choose. He never touches that. Never touches that. So even salvation is an invitation. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Who refuse the invitation, go to hell. It's a choice. Hmm. It's a choice. You cannot have a choice unless you have free will. And free will is there. God doesn't allow anybody to touch your free will. Doesn't touch anybody. Why, why are all the personalities created? So that you can skirt the free will. Can skirt the free will. But the older personality is free will is manipulated, not the course. And often what the older personalities do, the core has no clue at all. No clue at all. So the devil found a way, and wicked people found a way how to override the free will which God has given to a person by creating alter personality. Understood that? And the older personality, poor things, will is manipulated. It's controlled. It's programmed. Right? And that's how we all our computers work. You have Microsoft Word. You can only do Microsoft Word in that. You cannot do anything. Can you do Excel on Microsoft Word? I'm just shooting my little knowledge of software. You can't. You can't. Because it's programmed to do in particular way. Right? Programmed to do. But every man, woman has a free will. So how do people, how did people come out? The core in its free will made a choice. Lord Jesus, help me. Bang. Now what they are doing? Integrating the altars. One by one by one by one by. The core cannot be integrated to the altar. The altar is integrated to the core. The core is the real person because the core person has a free will. Has a free will. And in that free will, we choose. Abraham chose. Isaac chose. Mm. They chose. They didn't have to. If you look into their family history, Abraham, Isaac, and you know what? Those ladies were tough cookies. Mm. Those men were wusses. The women were tough, strong ladies. Sarah was a strong lady. She didn't fear at all. I don't know at that point who had more faith, Abraham or Sarah. I think Sarah had more faith than Abraham. And God honored her faith. And told Pharaoh, don't you dare lay, lay a hand on my girl. Abimelech calls. You touch her, you are dead meat. It was not Abraham. It was Sarah. Rebecca was strong. She was not afraid. She was not afraid. So you will always see, because we always talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We forget the ladies were absolutely strong, fearless women of faith. Absolutely. And God honored their faith. And see that they came untouched out of their situation. So we have to honor both their faith. Amen? Amen. Shall call it a die? Yes, Pastor.
as you brother Australians say, we are calling it a die. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Tomorrow we are back to regular week morning. We have message. If we get more questions, we have Q and A. We don't have more questions. We go to a message. Either way, we will feed you. Shall we pray? Father, this Sunday night, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you, Lord. We just thank you because you're an awesome God. Awesome, awesome God, Lord. You are dealing with us one day at a time. Helping us to overcome. There is no condemnation. And again, Father, I want to repeat that to all your children who are listening. For all those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And I pray you will help them one day at a time to keep overcoming, to keep walking, more and more liberty, being unbound, strip by strip, one sin at a time, or more at a time. The pace is set by you. And according to the person's desire. I pray, Lord, people will come out fast. Because we have, we don't have much time left. The world is growing more wicked by the minute. So I pray people will throw their whole lot into this process of being set free. Yes, like Saul of Tarsus did with all his heart. He gave it his all. And he ran faster and better than anybody else who began before him. So all things are possible. Scripture says, all things are possible with God. And your word says, all things are possible with him or her who believes. So I pray, Lord, faith will arise. And each brother, each sister will grab hold of everything that God has for them in this life. And be victorious in this walk. Plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over all your children, Lord. Everyone who is listening tonight. Oh, Father, touch them. Protect them. Preserve them. Keep them. And we rebuke the powers of darkness in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Every stealer of your destiny. We rebuke you. Take your hands of God's children. They do not belong to you anymore. They belong to God and God alone. You cannot steal their destiny. They have been set free and they are on the road to absolute total victory has overcome us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, and I speak your rest into everybody's life, Lord. Be with us. Go before us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a blessed day or night, whichever part of the universe you are.